0: Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.
3: And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, wow, you know, there's uh, just so much going on in the news, and, uh, and things are going to start happening. I'm, I'm telling you folks, the stuff that's coming out is just mind-blowing. When you get your head around the, the fact that, We have two nuclear bombs going off at the same time. Um, It was Mayor Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani just recently said that uh, Seth Rich, he's interested in learning more about the Seth Rich case. He tweeted that out five days ago. He retweeted a Matt couch tweet. And Matt Couch uh, has a good source with Ed Butowski. Ed Butowski is currently in litigation, uh, being sued by Aaron Rich, Seth Rich's brother. And together, they're, you know, getting all kinds of discovery, which indicates that, you know, Ellen Ratner, um, which is a Fox News journalist, a legit person, uh, her husband, her brother, who passed away uh, from natural causes, uh, was actually doing work with Julian Assange, and so Julian Assange is under wraps. He's he's in custody, and so what's interesting is when you take a look at Seth Rich and you take a look at all the evidence. The, uh, the person who controls all the evidence and knows everything—that's Julian Assange—and they were trying to kill him, just like Epstein. Um, well, Epstein might not be dead. And so it's, there are two cases that can bring down the entire House. And I'm not talking about the House of Representatives, I'm talking about the whole enchilada. You got Epstein and Seth Rich. Those two nuclear bombs control everything. Those are the linchpins, those are basically the pins you pull out of a hand grenade. And
2: been on radio five years now. Uh, We've been talking about this, and I want to look at a different facet before we get into the oil and gas uh, uh, conversation that we're going to have here with Mike Woods uh, about uh, that silent bigotry, perhaps, of low expectations that we see many times when it comes to SAT scores. Hey, uh, high school wasn't a total waste for me. I scored uh, 1,200 on the SAT score. My parents were certainly not wealthy or anything. Uh, But uh, I had some friends that I hung out with who had way more money than I did, scored way less than I did. Mike Woods, welcome back to the C.L. Bryant Show, man. How have you been, friend? I'm all right, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically well, man. And I thank you so much for coming on with us. Mike, you sit on various boards of colleges and you've been in all types of academic situations as far as boards and that type thing is concerned. I want your take. I want you to share with our audience uh, what this uh, college, this adversity uh, score is all about and perhaps your opinion on uh, how we should approach uh, the SATs and, and all of that. Talk to us.
1: Well, uh, CL, we continue to dumb down our colleges, unfortunately, and and uh, it's. It's really sad that that the students we're turning out of high school aren't prepared. I mean, look what we had to do in Louisiana years ago. The the, the, the driving force behind the the community colleges uh, was the fact that that our high school grads weren't college ready. Uh, they they couldn't take algebra one. They couldn't take English one. And so as a result, they were spending a year uh, at a four year institution taking courses that didn't count as college credit. Uh, and And so we developed this community college system to encourage those who didn't go early on and encourage those who weren't college ready to go uh, to a community college, pay a a smaller admission price, uh, and get those credits so then they could go on to a four-year institution and graduate. But it's it's just typical of what we're doing here in the United States that we we lower our expectations constantly whether it be uh, college applicants or, or or anything I mean we're just we're, we're giving excuses to everybody that well you, you can't cut the mustard so we're just going we're gonna lower the bar
2: and when we talk about turning out a good citizen Mike when we and and the the, the fabric of our nation when you have uh, college students and people coming out of high school perhaps who uh, by uh, well skin color or, or 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 whether it is ethno uh, or, or not ethno, but economic uh, socio economic conditions that they grew up in, whether they're white or black, and they're given a pass not expecting them to achieve. Does that affect negatively that person going forward? Do they continue to expect a pass? is that the the the, the, the trend that is set?
1: No, no question. I mean, if if you are raised saying, "Well, look, you, you you come from a lower socio-economic level, or you have a different color of skin," so we don't expect much of you. I mean, what does that tell you as a child? Well, I don't have to do as as good because uh, they don't expect as much as me. And and the other side of the equation, as you know, CL, I, I have a Vietnamese uh, child. Uh, when she was going off to school, they had suddenly there was a, a an, an anti Asian uh, culture in the colleges because the 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 Asian kids were getting all the scholarships. So Mekon had a a a harder time in her applying for scholarships because of the fact that she was Asian. So, you know, it cuts both ways.
2: Harvard is saying that uh, they have, a, actually Harvard has a knock on Asian uh, students by saying that their personality uh, is not uh, what others are. And it is just, it's just absolutely ludicrous what, 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 they're, what they're saying. Uh, uh, many uh, Asian acquaintances, friends that, throughout the nation that I have and uh, as far as I can tell, uh, they, their, their personalities would actually sit in this seat and have a better show than me. It is amazing how we label certain ethno, ethnic groups in this country, and it has to stop. And I think Donald Trump, uh, when he is not biased in any way of how he dishes out compliments toward people or even criticisms toward people, I think he actually puts the country back on a track that is healthy in 2019. Mike, um, now, when we think about the criticism. That's going to come from the left uh, with this change in S.A.T. and and, and all of that uh, is are the progressive liberals going to uh, let up off of this. And will they want this back? Why would they want this back?
1: well i, I can 't imagine that they would i mean th- there is a lot of criticism and and uh, but you know the, the the standard line of the day is that well a single score is wrong it's confusing and and you need to to uh, look at all the factors but but it's it 's just another way to to scam the system so to speak that you know your your score really doesn 't mean anything uh because of of where you went to school or or what your your father or mother did for a living uh, and so, you know, I mean, they're, they're bringing in the, you know, where you live, rural, suburban, the, how large is your senior class, uh, you know, uh, how many of the students in your school got free lunch. I mean, it's it's stuff that, that uh, I mean, has absolutely nothing. And, and again, I, I look back at, at my child, uh, who's Vietnamese, who, who was a boat child, came over here uh, through Catholic Charities, ended up in Shreveport in the fourth grade, spoke no English. Uh, and yet, started off in, in a, a, a school system and, and graduated uh, with honors from magnet high, and went on to University of South. You know, she came into our family when she was eleven. had had been away from her natural parents since she was three. Uh, and yet made straight A's the entire time. I mean, so, you know, you, you can you can argue all you want that. Oh, she was uh, impacted in an adverse way. And, and you should have, have, have treated her different. But uh, the bottom line is that, you know, she got out of college in four years with a degree in economics and her husband is a um, an optometrist in, in, uh, in Hawaii and, and doing quite well. So I, it, it's all just a bunch of bull.
2: Absolutely. And hey, folks, uh, whether you're a prince or a pauper, let me tell you, hard work does have its own merit. My granddad told me the easiest way to make money is to work for it. And that's the same way to get grades. I have known kids, very poor kids. In fact, you can ask Clarence Thomas uh, about his upbringing. And uh, he, he told me himself that he, he should not have been. He should it, it, With the storyline, that he came from. He should not be a Supreme Court justice. And folks, uh, that is a testament to uh, working hard and getting it done. Now, Mike, let's switch uh, topics here for just uh, a few minutes. Um, gas prices are real low, and all of you students out there, and all you parents of students out there, uh, they may stay low, they may rise again, but either way, you're going to have to buy the gas, and you better have some money in your pocket if you want to do that so uh, when we think about uh, the rise and fall of the gas prices Mike we're all enjoying right here in our little neck of the woods uh, uh, around the country I just came from Chicago up there it's I think it's nearly 325 or something up there Uh, 286 I think it's the uh, lowest I saw it Mike uh, these prices in, in Louisiana are beautiful how long can we expect them to stay that way
1: well, I think here in Louisiana, CL, we're going to see this. You know, I, I bought gas. Uh, I think two hundred four um, uh, yesterday. Uh, I know I, I was in Dallas over the weekend, and it was two thirty one over there. Uh, but but I think we're going to continue. You know, crude prices are bouncing around between fifty two to fifty eight dollars a barrel. Uh, and I think we're going to see, as we we end the driving season this weekend with Labor Day uh, coming on, and uh, as you know, the 1st of October, we go back to a, a winter blend of gasoline, which is cheaper to make. So I think you're going to actually see prices coming down a, a little bit more. But uh, wow. we certainly can't complain here in Louisiana. I had a friend who was in California two weeks ago, and he said, I'm paying $4.10 out here. I said, yeah, at about $1.50, that is state and federal tax. but um, And plus, California has their own special blend. Of, of gasoline that, that makes it more expensive. But I, I think we're going to see continue to see uh, low prices in, at the gas pump for, for now and, and uh, in the future.
2: Mike, uh, a lot of people are confused about the uh, conflict that the president is having with the Iranians. Does that affect us at all here in America? It doesn't appear to be affecting us here in Louisiana. Speak to us about that.
1: Well, of the, the course, he is not allowing the Iranians to sell any crude, and, and I mean they're they're cheating here, there, and everywhere. Selling to China, and and there are tankers running around with Iranian crude in it. Um, it really doesn't have that great of an impact on us, CL, because we have continued to improve the uh, the capacity of, of U.S. production. We're, we're now producing over twelve million barrels a day here in the United States, uh, thanks to the shale revolution. Uh, you know, we still consume over 19 million barrels a day, so we still have a seven million shortfall. But uh, what we're producing here is a light sweet crude that's coming out of the the Permian Basin and all the the shale plays, the Bakken and, and others. Uh, and what what's coming out of the Middle East is a uh, is a sour crude, it has a high sulfur content, and, and what the impact that's going to happen, especially as we go into 2020, you know, you know, the International Maritime um, Association has declared that as of January 1 of 2020, all fuel burned by uh, ships has to be a low sulfur crew, just like we did to diesel a couple of years ago, where we dropped the sulfur content uh, 10%. Uh, they are getting ready to do the same. And the impact of that is twofold. Number one, It's going to take another million and a half barrels of crude a day to make this low-sulfur crude. But number two, suddenly all of the Middle East crude, which is already sour to begin with, is now less favorable because it takes more effort to to refine that sulfur out of that sour crude. So we're going to see the U.S. market. uh, We are exporting now up to four million barrels a day. From the U.S., we're going to see that market get stronger as far as price is concerned, and you're going to see less and less uh, clamoring for um, for that Middle East crude, especially Iran. So it's it's going to be interesting as we go forward. And and the, you know we're 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 driving more energy efficient cars. We're we're doing some things to to um, to reduce. Uh, the amount of, of crude consumption, but every year it continues to go up, go up, go up. So yeah. it's going to be interesting as we go forward. But I'm as someone in my business, I'm I'm always uh, the optimist that it's it's going to get better, and and uh, you know I think it is.
2: Just hang in there, folks. We're on with Mike Woods, uh, businessman extraordinary expert oil and gas. Uh, as far as uh, his finger on the pulse is concerned, there is none better to have on the show today. Mike, tell the audience whether or not it is a misnomer that our nation has become, is becoming uh, energy uh, independent as far as uh, uh, oil and gas is concerned. And talk to us about uh, how certain that is, and is that something that we can expect to actually become a reality uh, as far as uh, the energy independence is concerned? Talk to us about energy independence.
1: Well, we are headed that way. Uh, had crude prices stayed over $100, uh, the, the, the experts contended that we would be producing enough by 2020 to not have to go outside of the United States for, for any crude. Now, that's somewhat of a, of a, a misnomer. Uh, right now, the majority of our refineries are not set up to refine light-sweet crude. Uh, so we could reach the point where we're producing 19 million barrels a day and consuming 19 million barrels a day, but the the production that, that we're making isn't we, we can't refine it right now, and so there's got to be a, a shift. Uh, and of course, there have not been any new refineries built since 1979, and the reason that that they are. Set up to refine sour crude is because you know up in oh ten years ago we weren 't producing five million barrels a day here in the u s so if we didn 't import the sour crude we we didn 't have any crude to to um, to refine into gasoline so th- there 's got to be a shift there, so even if we become quote energy independent uh, we 're still not able to to take advantage of our energy independence because uh, unless we do something with our refineries. Um, we can't refine light sweet crude. It can't run it through refineries that are set up to to ref, uh, refine sour crude. So, you know, energy independence is somewhat of a misnomer. Uh, but but the good news is that we are are able now. You know, up until three years ago, it was against the law to export U.S. crude, and so it had. Had we not changed that law, we'd just be sitting on millions of barrels of, of of light sweet crude that we couldn't do anything with. So at least we're able to to send it uh, off, and, and other countries are taking advantage of that. And it's in reality it's it's easier to to refine and, and to make gasoline with light sweet crude than than it is with sour. But uh, just because of of our past experience. I mean, remember Jimmy Carter in 1980 said we were going to be out of, out of uh, crude oil by, by 2000. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. That yeah. was right. Uh, yeah. I guess Jimmy got tired of being right about everything. And so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, Mike can stay with me through the break. We're on with Mike Woods, businessman extraordinaire and a good friend of the show. Good friend of mine. The question that I'll have for him when we come back, uh, all of you, Louisiana has got a lot of you listen to the show on a daily basis. And this is, uh, uh, apply to those of you around the nation as well. Uh, Louisiana, as you know, our lifeblood is uh, oil and gas, and I want to ask Mike Wood since he has a good idea about this whether or not there's a, a great opportunity uh, for a visionary to sit in the governor's chair who might understand that we have an opportunity here in Louisiana to take advantage of maybe even uh, manufacturing, building a refinery. Is that a possibility? Mike Wood's going to talk. Talk to us about, and then I want to talk to him about China and the trade war that uh, obviously we're entering into with the president. Uh, many are uh, saying that we're getting mixed signals from the president, and so forth. I want to get Mike Woods' uh, take on that when we return with him after, uh, the short break, you're listening to the CL Bryant show. And Hey, I want to tell you folks in Frisco, Texas, I'll be over there this weekend. Got a, a, Texas tour, uh, coming up going on. Then I'll be headed up to Washington and then out to Oregon. We'll be out there. And, uh, Hey folks, it is really busy, busy headed toward this 2020 election. And all of you had better, uh, Put on your, your 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 thinking caps and th- put on your your citizen hats because it is time for you to think as good citizens of this nation so that we can preserve our republic and don't you forget that the fundamental change that was introduced in words uh, by Barack Obama that that goal and that that agenda hasn't changed. Whatsoever. Uh, When you listen to to Scaramucci, Anthony Scaramucci, talking the rhetoric that he's talking, and you see people beginning to try and line up to primary this president, uh, believe me, there is indeed uh, still a move to fundamentally change our nation. I'm CL. We'll be back after these brief words. Don't go anywhere.
3: It's high bowing and
2: CL, back with you coast to coast and border to border. My special guest is Mike Woods, businessman extraordinaire, and I'm so gra- glad that he's a friend of mine. Both of us are Louisiana boys from the great city of Shreveport, and uh, we certainly hope that it will uh, become that way again with the right planning and efforts uh, in our future. But we're also from the great state of Louisiana as well. There is no place uh, in the continent. United States like Louisiana. In fact, there's no place in the world like our home state of Louisiana. Mike, is there an opportunity for us to take advantage of um, a need uh, to have refineries, uh, perhaps a refinery built in our state? Is there anyone that you see that might have a vision for that in this uh, projection of a a gubernatorial race in this off-year election? What do you say about it?
1: Well, uh, under the current climate, my my answer would be no, C.L., and and you can look uh, as far south as Baton Rouge with with Exxon's issue that they had now that our our current governor is allowing uh, parish commissions and and city councils to uh, revoke uh, tax credits. You know, Exxon was getting ready to spend a billion dollars in Baton Rouge, and and, uh, they had gone before the Board of Commerce and Industry and, and gotten some tax relief and the school board and uh, overturned uh, the board of commerce and industry so y- you have uh, y- i mean it it again it, it amazes me and, and and I have talked about this forever and ever it, it is so expensive to do business in Louisiana between our property taxes uh the high sales tax in the nation and so I think it's going to be interesting as we go into this um, uh, gubernatorial election year uh, to see the 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 comments made by our incumbent Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards versus his two Republican opponents—I think they're going to be able to beat him up primarily over the issue of the trial lawyer involvement and what it's costing the state. And I'll give you a great example. I was speaking with a landowner yesterday, and people don't realize this—they when they hear these legacy lawsuits, they think, "Well, that's that—they're suing Exxon, they're they're suing the big companies, and it will never impact me." The trial lawyers now, CL, and you'll appreciate this because you're a mineral owner, they are going after the mineral owners. Uh, And and what is happening, the mineral owners that that have production that sell their surface to someone else, these trial lawyers go in and talk to those surface owners and say, look, we're going to sue the mineral owners because they have ruined your property and they have enriched themselves and and didn't take care of of your property that they then sold to you. And and in this particular case, uh, the landowner said, we were fortunate. We we ended up uh, settling for under $40,000. That's the way you were fortunate. He said, but we spent four hundred thousand on legal fees yeah and so that's that's what's happening now they're not going after the big boys uh, as much as they're going after the the, the cl Bryants and others that, that have mineral ownership uh who have severed the surface so it's it's hard to do business in louisiana i have not drilled a well in louisiana in 30 years um all my stuff right now i got a well going in arkansas i'm drilling one in texas but between our our high property taxes, we have the highest severance tax in the nation, twelve and a half percent on severed minerals, uh, versus four uh, percent in Arkansas, five percent in uh, in Texas. Then you throw in an eight uh, percent state income tax in Louisiana, zero percent in Texas. So in Texas, you know you're you're fifteen percent ahead right off the bat uh, versus Louisiana, and and that's what's going to going to hurt us as we try to continue to, to get folks to come from the outside because it just doesn't make economic sense.
2: When we talk about uh, economic sense as well, my guest is Mike Woods, a businessman extraordinaire uh, oil and gas man, certainly in particular, a uh, lot of advice that uh, he has given all of us here on the show through the years. When we talk about uh, economic common sense, uh, give us your take on the president's method of handling uh, the Chinese. They have been cheating us, treating us like chumps uh, for the last sixty years, twenty years at least. Uh, tell us, tell us, Mike, uh, your take on on the president and uh, perhaps the criticism that he's receiving as far as his approach to China.
1: Well, it, it's interesting, C.L., and I'm going to give you two different examples and, and then give one that, that I, I think is, is really uh truing. I was watching this morning on on, uh, Squawk Box, and they had uh, the former ambassador to China, Max Baucus, who was a a Montana U.S. senator. He was an Obama appointee. Uh, He spent three years in China as the ambassador. And, of course, he was lamenting the fact that, oh, we're losing the the fight with China, that that, that the the Chinese uh, don't see our current president as as being strong. And and so it's just, you know, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, then you go and look at Lindsey Graham, uh, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and also serving on Foreign Relations, and he says surrendering to China, uh, to their cheating, w- would devastate our economy. And and um, uh, Trump, unlike any other president, is is doing something about about the China problem, and and so. The Democrats say we're failing. Uh, Lindsey Graham says we're not. Uh, well, so let's let's go to somebody who maybe uh, is somewhat impartial. And I didn't realize this until I started doing a little research this morning. You know, the, the, the mad money man, uh, Jim Cramer, is a Democrat. And, and what does Cramer have to say about uh, what Trump is doing? He said that he has the upper hand, that the Chinese respond to people who, who deal in strength, uh, And Kramer says, you know, I don't care about politics, I care about the stock market, and what our president's doing is working for the stock market, and and don't be alarmed with what's going on as far as bond yields, because everybody else around the world has has got negative yields in their bonds, and so money is flowing into the U.S., and that's why we have an inverted uh, yield curve between the two-year and the ten-year. But he said, you know, the market's getting ready to take off again, and, and it's thanks to our president. So you know it, it, who do you believe uh if you say i'm not going to believe the the, the the elected Democrat side, or I'm not going to believe the elected Republican side, here is a, a Democrat, Jim Cramer, who's simply in the market to make money, and he said what the president's doing is right, and, and, and I concur. And, and there's there's other issues. There's no question China has been cheating for years, and, and none of our presidents, Republicans or Democrats, uh, uh, paid any heed to that. But, but another thing that nobody's talking about is this fentanyl issue. You know, China is flooding uh, the U.S. market with fentanyl and... and um, We've had, uh, you know, in 2007 there were 2,000 overdoses of fentanyl, In 2018 there were 32,000 overdoses, and there's been a huge amount of fentanyl that's coming in through uh, Florida, and the former uh, Florida AG is, is is jumping up and down saying if we don't start looking at this, look at what's happening in Hong Kong, and, and that's going to have an impact as far as is uh, the China negotiations, and and you know, so it's it's a kind of a, a, a tit for tat game, and, and the president says we're going to do this, and then China says. We'll do this. And then he backs down and they back down. But it's it's the way it's the way that he bargains. And people, <laughs> you know, it, it it tickles the daylights out of me because, you know, they can't figure out what he's doing. And, and I, I, but I think he's a genius. I mean, I think he's, he knows exactly what he's doing. and And through his tweets and through his jumping up and down. And, and it's driving the press absolutely crazy. And that uh, you know, <laughs> and thanks that's to good. people like you who are spreading the word. Uh, you know, good for you.
2: Good for you. And you know what, Mike? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. I have uh, uh, coming up uh, here on on with me is our good friend uh, United States House Representative uh, Mike Johnson. He's gonna uh, be on with me. But Mike, it's always always great to have you on. You always give us clarity into uh, topics that we must talk about. And if the president is crazy, he's crazy like a fox. Let me tell you that. I really believe it. (laughs) And uh, listen, man, continue to fight the good fight. God bless you, and God keep you and your family. We'll have you back on real soon. Thank you so much for being on here with me today. You bet. Bye. I'm C.L. This is the C.L. Bryant Show. And, hey, folks, uh, back in uh, 1938, uh nine, let's see, back in 1938, uh, back in 1938, um, we had a movie called Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. And when I think about my next guest, that's exactly who I think about. I think about Mr. Smith. Going to Washington and laying into the fat cats up there. I want you to help me welcome back to the show. Good friend of mine and someone who is doing a fantastic job for the great state of Louisiana. My friend, Mike Johnson. Welcome back to the C.L. Bryant show. How are you, man?
0: Hey, my friend. Great to hear your voice as always. It's good to be back.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, Hey, listen, I know that you're fighting the good fight up there. And, you know, Mike, uh, I I, I was saying uh, on the road the other day, I was up in Chicago, and uh, I was saying that in in order to change uh, America, you don't necessarily change the history books, but you change the definitions. Mike, there seems to be a a change in definition of what a conservative is uh, these days. Uh, You talk to us about it. You are up there uh, heading up uh, committees. And and on uh, committees, and uh, you're working with uh, the Republican Study Committee, which is the largest caucus of conservatives in Congress, 145 members. Mike, are a lot of those, a lot of things that are coming out of uh, our party. Uh, both of us Republicans, uh, and uh, it doesn't seem like conservative stuff. How do we change this? Is there a definition change going on? Talk to us.
0: Uh, that, that's a great uh, question, a great issue, C.L. It's one we've talked a lot about on Capitol Hill here in the last couple of years. We're, we're kind of in uncharted waters in a way. We're in... We're in uh, we're in an area and an era in in America's politics that um, is difficult to define sometimes. And when you're in a, a vortex like this, when you're in choppy seas and uncharted waters, um, a lot of times people lose their bearings. You know, they lose sight of the horizon and they grasp for other things and other ideas and, and all of that. So, what we've been trying to do with the Republican Study Committee, this is a, a, a really important group on the Hill, as you mentioned, 145 conservatives in, in the House. I'm um, Chairman for this Congress, uh, previous Chairman, by the way, include our our good friend Steve Scalise before he became the Majority or Minority Whip, and uh, and, and Vice President Mike Pence was a Chairman when he was in was in the House. Uh, but but this is a group that's been around since 1973, and and RSC is known on Capitol Hill. They call it the Intellectual Arsenal, intellectual Arsenal of conservatism, and so we're kind of the the, the conscience of the Republican Party in in a certain respect. And our job is is to hold the line, to hold true to those timeless principles that make us conservatives and of course to advance them in public policy so look when i ran for chairman of rsc cl i felt like i was giving a c l bryant speech man i got in front of the whole group and i said listen we can't forget our foundational principles and if you if you make me chairman i'm going to bring us back to the origins of this whole thing and look i, I made this this statement CL, I said if, if, you, if you were pressed to define what it means to be a conservative." Um, what would you say? And and, and my, my my concern is that more and more of our friends in, in the base and self-described conservatives and Republicans are, are not able to give an articulate response for that, and it's never been more important for us to do it. And so I, I said this, see all I said, if you if you boil down the entire Republican Party platform, all 190 something pages down to a half page, how would you define and narrow down what that means? And I came up with seven core principles of conservatism, and I, and I presented this to the group. I got a lot of buy-in on that, and we've been developing that ever since. And I'll, I'll, I'll go into those for a second if you if you got time for it. Mike,
2: be sure to go into them. Yeah, you got time.
0: All right, so here's, here's what I, I propose, and see if you agree. I think you will. If you boil everything we believe down to seven things, I'd say, I would say what, it would come into these maybe seven categories. I'd say we believe in individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, the importance of peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity, okay? And you, you've, you've unpacked a lot on each of the, one of those uh, categories over time, but under each one, under each one of those umbrellas, there's a lot of subcategories. So, for example, under human dignity, we would talk a lot about, as you do, about um, how we, we all have equal rights under God. We're all created by Him as the Declaration states, and, and our rights come from God, not the state. And so we need to support policies that support that principle. Um, you know, the sanctity of human life, and the idea of religious freedom, and all that falls under the... Those are subcategories under the big category of human dignity. You talk about individual freedom and limited government, the rule of law. These are ideas that have been animating and driving our country since the time of its founding. When Ronald Reagan uh, was giving his famous farewell address, he said, They call me the great communicator. I really wasn't. I was just communicating great things, and they're the same great things that have guided our country since its founding. You and I, our challenge today, and what you do on the radio every day, is you're trying to present those same timeless truths to a new generation you're trying to explain it and articulate it in a way that resonates with the current crop of Americans just like they've done for we've all done for more than 240 years that that task has never been more important than it is right now
2: and it is not more important, folks, than it has is right now. It has never been more important than it is right now, especially for our young people. Because, Mike, you know, I know that you, you know, uh, you're older than Cortez, Presley, and uh, Omar. Well, you may not be older than Omar, but uh, and 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 Talib, and and, <laughs> and those are your colleagues up there on on the Hill. And it, it I'm absolutely uh, amazed. In fact, sometimes it, it just leaves me just dumbfounded as to how. These uh, became representative in the House, uh, the United States House of Representatives here in America, touting the type of things that they say and allow to spew out of their mouths. Mike are we poised i mean do you have a good feeling now i'm i'm to prognosticate a little bit here uh, are you do you have a pretty good feeling about our chances uh in this 2020 election of ousting uh your the speaker of the house uh, nancy pelosi and perhaps regaining control of that because of the the haphazard statements that these socialists are making there on the hill talk to us about that
0: Oh, I I absolutely do, C.L. I, I think that they are helping us. And in fact, I'd like to follow those uh, four colleagues around with a larger microphone. I want them to talk more, brother, because the more they talk, the more it scares uh, the mess out of people. And they, they wake up and they realize, wow, we're this is really a battle for the future of the country. It is. You can't you can't overstate it. They represent exactly the opposite of those seven core principles that I just articulated for you. Exactly the opposite. And they openly advocate for it. What's so scary right now is that in, in you know in previous generations you always had a few fringe people, you had a couple of socialists buried there in the Democrat Party and and some sort of fringe leftist, you know, the Bernie Sanders type. Well now it has become the actual platform of the party. I mean they're openly advocating for these things on the floor of the United States Congress. It would have been unimaginable for previous generations um, to 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 think that we would come to this place in this time, but here we are. So it's never been more important as we say for, for people who believe in those traditional American ideas, the things that have made us the exceptional nation that we are, to be talking about it. Please do not assume. I, I did my sixty seventh town hall yesterday, uh, CL. Since I took office in January twenty seventeen, um, I go out all throughout my congressional district and I talk about these ideas. It's basically like a a civics one hundred one refresher course, you know. And and like we, you and I used to do in the Constitution Revolution events. Remember back in the day, we yeah. go around and just yeah. talk about these ideas. Because you cannot assume that your neighbors and your friends know this stuff anymore. They don't. You saw the poll that came out a few weeks ago. I don't know if you talked about it on the air, but 58% of millennials say they'd rather live in a socialist nation. It's absolutely frightening. Of course, they have no idea what it is they're talking about. But the, but the, but the fact that AOC and her friends would have as many followers as they have on social media and that they would attract this kind of attention ought to get our attention and it auto-motivates us to action like we've never had before.
2: Absolutely, folks. And uh, we're talking to the hardest-working statesman in the nation, our good friend, my my uh, United States House Representative, Mike Johnson, from the great state of Louisiana, here with me. We're going to return with him after this very short break. And, Mike, when we return, one of the fondest uh, wishes and dreams, uh, prayers that I have is to have uh, Majority Leader Steve Scalise uh, from the great state of Louisiana. Uh, it doesn't matter to me if, if Kevin McCarthy or or whether it's Jim, my friend Jim Jordan uh, becomes uh, Speaker of the House, as long as one of them have the common sense to choose Steve Scalise as uh, his majority uh, leader. And we're, we're going to talk to Mike Johnson about that when we return. I'm CL. This is the CL Brian Show. You folks over in Frisco, Texas, I'll be headed your way this weekend, and then I'll shoot up to D.C. And you folks there in in the great Northwest, uh, Oregon, will be coming your way as well. So uh, stay tuned to the show. We're on daily, every day, right here throughout the Fruited Plains, of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The greatest success story the world has ever known. And that is America. We're going to return with Congressman Mike Johnson when the C.L. Bryant Show returns don't you go anywhere and remember, you make the difference. You make the difference, my friends, in this nation. Don't forget it. I'll be right back. You thought I was worth saving. So you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. I do the best I can, always the in the hand, and for the flag I stand. CL, back with you, coast to coast, border to border, throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The greatest success story the world has ever known. And we're coming to you live uh, over our flagship station, Red State Talk. If you're traveling through New York City, look up above Ripley's, believe it or not. And the Red State Talk billboard is right there above Ripley's, about a block away from where they dropped the ball for New Year's Eve. Every hour, 24 hours a day, the C.L. Bryant show does pop up there. And old C.L.'s face looking right back at you. I want to thank our terrestrial stations as well as Loving Liberty for welcoming us into their families as well. My special guest uh, in uh, these last couple of segments is my good friend. And he's also uh, my representative in the United States House of Representatives, Mike Johnson. MJ, we were talking about... uh, Once we take back the house, uh, my fondest prayer is that Steve Scalise becomes uh, the majority uh, majority leader. And uh, let me ask you this, Mike: When we look at um, how we as Republicans uh, need to come together and show a united front, do we have a prayer of that? I know we have a prayer of Scalise becoming uh, the leader, but do we have a prayer of Republicans? uniting over who is going to be the speaker. That's one thing we need to talk about.
0: Well I I look I think we do. Um we'll have some strong uh candidates within the Republican conference for that. And uh you mentioned Jim Jordan's a good friend, dear dear friend and brother of mine as well. Steve scalise obviously is our our champion from Louisiana, been a friend of mine for 25 years, known it since college. Um, we, we got some strong leaders and, 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 you know, Kevin McCarthy is the minority leader right now out of California. Um, we, we've got some guys who can step up and, and really lead. And it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting race when that time comes. I do believe that we are going to win back the majority. I really do. I'm not just being an optimist, although I am, I think that the, uh, I think the data shows that we can do that. As long as the economy is going along well, as long as president Trump keeps doing what he's doing, I think that we can take the majority back in the House. We desperately need to do so because the country uh, it, it really needs that to happen right now. We can't have another – uh, another term, another Congress is Pelosi in charge of the gavel, because you see what that has wrought. Um, we, we would love to realign the stars again, you know, to have Trump um, reelected, which I'm convinced he will be, and, and to have the Republican majority in the House and the Senate. We have all those 33 things aligned. We can run the table for conservative policies, and that is what the country needs. It's a very exciting prospect. It's one of the things that keeps us motivated every day. You know, you mentioned um we were talking about the Republican Study Committee, um, this is the group that puts our conservative ideas uh, you know, onto paper. We're, we, we draft the legislation to make these these philosophies and these principles of ours a reality in America's law to reform the government the way it is run right now. We are developing right now, as we're in the minority in the House, the playbook, what I call the Republican playbook. And this is our set of policies and our legislative proposals that we will run when we get the majority back. We're really excited about that. Our 145 members are working hard in, in, in uh, subgroups like task forces, working groups on all these various issues. And we're putting this thing together, and I, I have some great confidence we'll be able to run it uh, as, the, as the Republican majority and as the leaders and the, the guys that we've been talking about. They're on board with this development of this idea, and I think uh, everybody's getting really excited about the the, the prospects of it. I've talked to the president about it himself as recently as uh, two weekends ago on cell phone. And uh, he knows what we're doing. He's excited about it as well. So we're that, that's what's keeping us motivated right now.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. And let's all get uh, mobilized behind this Republican playbook and headed up by this study committee that our good friend Mike Johnson is, in fact, uh, chairing. Mike, before we switch to um, a conversation about what you and uh, Tony Perkins, our friend uh, Tom, Tony Perkins, has been doing, I, I want to uh, give you, you – you're, you're a radio personality, former radio personality yourself. I want to give you about three, four minutes right now to uh, touch on any issue that you think is important for the many thousands listening across uh, the nation right now to understand and know about the work that uh, conservatives, particularly, and Republicans are doing there on the Hill. Mike, you take the mic and uh, you go for it.
0: Well, look, Lonnie, don't give me an open mic because I'll keep us here all afternoon. There's plenty we can talk about, but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you the things that come up most often in my town halls, and I mentioned I've come closing in on about 70 of those since I took took office January 2017. I try to get out amongst the people I represent in the 15 parishes or counties of Louisiana Uh, North and West part of the the state. This is a good microcosm. It's a a picture of the whole country Um, because you have good God-fearing folks. They believe in traditional American values. Um, Some of them are Democrats. A lot of them are Republicans, but they all believe at the end of the day in the same thing, CL. They want a fair shot. They want to have faith in our American institutions. They, they they want to believe that if they work hard and sacrifice and play by the rules, they can make a better life for themselves and their children. You know, and and having Trump in office for this last three and a half years, and and, and having in the first part of his term when when we when the Republicans uh, we had united government and we we did our our thing in the 115th Congress with tax reform and. Uh, and regulatory reform and all the rest, what we've been able to do is bring that American dream back closer within the grasp of more people. That is the objective. That's what we're supposed to be about, man. We, we, wanna, we believe in economic mobility for more people. That is the, the ability you have, the opportunity to work hard, sacrifice, play by the rules, and move up to the next rung of the ladder. And under the, the, the eight years of the Obama administration, that dream got Pulled further beyond the grasp of more people. So as we go into this election cycle, this this heated presidential election cycle, at the end of the day, everybody needs to put aside what they think about the personalities involved, and you know their 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 peccadillos, and you know how they speak, and all that. You need to look at their philosophies, right? You need to look at record over rhetoric. What does it mean to you? To have a guy like Donald Trump in the office at the end of the day versus what it would mean to have, heaven forbid, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or even Joe Biden. Because they represent a totally different vision for the country. They're embracing socialist ideas. They're embracing big, expansive, out-of-control government and endless spending, deficit spending, debt spending. We can't afford to do that anymore, and we're not going to have the American dream if we don't fight for it right now. This is for all the marbles, buddy, and you know that and I know that. We just have to continue to make sure everybody else recognizes it as well.
2: Did you hear him, folks? This is for all the marbles. Oh, I know that you hear that, every, but folks, every election cycle. But no, 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 folks. Pay attention. Wake up. Pay attention. This is for—and listen, every election is for the marbles. Period, but this is real. This is real, folks, and something else is slipping away in the the, the minds of our young people, and it really disturbs me. I'm, I'm concerned about it. Do everything I can, and Mike, whatever I can do to help you uh, in in this endeavor, because I know that this is a part of uh, our warfare. Is that uh, we push forward the Judeo Christian ethic, and Mike, you and Tony uh, had you and Tony Perkins had been um, out uh, and about talking to people about what it means. Means to be an American from a Christian perspective and how those ethics do and have shaped the fiber, the fabric of our nation. Talk to us about that work that you and Tony had been involved in.
0: Yeah, we we do. Uh, Tony's been doing this for about 20 years off and on, and I started doing it a few years back. Now my wife and I do it together on on Typically on Sunday evenings, we go around churches, I, not, not in my capacity as a congressman. This is in my individual capacity. Uh, my wife and I do what Tony's been doing for a long time. We go into these churches on Sunday evenings, and we do a seminar. It lasts about three hours. It's called the Answers for Our Times Seminar, and we unpack in three segments basically what it means to be an American, what it means to follow those Judeo-Christian principles, um, how we were founded, how, what, how our biblical worldview – what does that mean, first of all, to have a biblical worldview – how does it apply to the issues of the day and and what are the answers to these big issues that that vex us in the culture today? The answers are there uh it's just fewer and fewer people um recognize where to find them so we we try to package all that you you know. You and I could lead a seminar like that. We we could take three weeks to do it, but we, we condensed it into a three-hour thing on a Sunday evening. And I tell you, we have just gotten such great response and feedback from this. I mean, we'll have hundreds of people in each church at each each seminar, and they'll sit there till the very end, taking notes feverishly. They look up. They don't want us to leave. We usually wind up staying four hours because we do Q&A afterwards. And uh, we're, we're just opening people's eyes again timely, credible, thoughtful discussion.
3: This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.